Let's open our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and take up our study of the book called The Preacher. Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Wisest man, richest man, inspired man, gives us some wonderful words of wisdom. I thank each of you for the feedback that you've given me to encourage me in this study. And I pray that it will be of profit to your heart and life, your family in this church. I'm not angry, except at your foolishness. Solomon isn't angry, except at your foolishness. He's going to mock you and make fun of you today. Because those of you who want to choose a miserable approach to life are worse than a stillborn. You should have never been born. An untimely birth is better than you. Life is too good. Life is too short to waste in your stupid moodiness. Your stupid stinginess, your stupid discontentment, your stupid worry about things. Spend, enjoy, rejoice, give thanks. <laughs> what a wonderful religion. I'm not angry at you. I love each of you. I wouldn't be here. I only live for two reasons. And I'm nothing. But I am told to make war against you. And the weapons of my warfare are not carnal. I'm not going to tell you what Barack said last night. I'm not going to tell you what Senator McCain said last night. I'm not going to tell you what the lesser of those three said last night. I'm going to give you the preacher. The weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. To the power of God, to the pulling down of strongholds. And the strongholds are the walls that you make in your little heart. I'm supposed to pull them down. To help you. To serve you. And Solomon's going to try to pull them down with me. By the inspiration of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, which we've prayed for, I hope I can pull something down. And I hope I can build in its place with the Word of God. Not me, the Word of God. Something good for your life. Because life is too short. Any second that you waste in worrying is shortening your life. Any second you waste in fretting, discontentment, looking elsewhere, thinking things could be better, you shorten your life. It's a terrible sin. It's a terrible disease. It's an evil disease. It's common among men. And I'm going to make it as common as I can to see if I can't dip most of you into it. Because if it's common among men, then it's not outside these walls, it's inside. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 continues a lesson from chapter 5. So we need to go back just for a few minutes. And I want to read to you verses 13 through 17, which describes a hoarding, miserly, negative, moody, melancholy, stingy, saving person that doesn't enjoy life. Ecclesiastes 5.13 There is a sore evil 
which I have seen under the sun. Namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail. And he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for such wonderful words. Those of you who like to live a sad life, you're sick. Those of you who want to be sorrowful about things, you're sick. We're not talking about the sorrow of spiritual repentance and mourning in order to walk closer with God. We're talking about the sorrow in the mourning that you choose for your approach to life. You're sick. Verses 13 through 17 are describing a man that makes money, works for money in order to keep it. It's riches kept that are the sore evil that he's seen in the sun. Riches spent are better than riches kept. I have been taught to keep and I have taught you to keep because the ant is an example for us that we are supposed to keep some of what we earn. But it should only be a reasonable amount and the rest should be spent. You don't want to make your children rich. That's not going to do them any good. If you can save up an inheritance to give them a start on their life, then they can leverage off that, give their children a start in their life, and spend the rest. What are you keeping it for? The day of your death? Put us in your will. Since you're not going to spend it, put us in your will, and we'll spend it for you as soon as you die. And I'm already smiling about it. Because if you want to live that way, we don't. So put us in your will, okay? Saving is good to a minor point. Then scatter the rest. That's the word the Bible uses. Scatter. Scatter. Just spend it. Don't waste it. Don't be foolish. And don't you define what is wasteful. Let God define what is wasteful. Because God says to eat, to drink, and to enjoy the good of your labor. If there's something that you can buy, should buy, would like to buy, that would give you pleasure and a reward for your labor, and you can afford it, buy it. If you think the money's in savings for your children, and there's enough there to give them a little start in their life, then spend it. Riches kept is the problem for the owners thereof to their hurt. And then he tells three things that are, that are bad about that. In verse 14, those riches perish by evil travail. Lots of bad things happen in life that take it away. If you're just storing it up and not spending it on an ongoing basis, then you're storing it up and you are putting that money at risk. You are putting your labor at risk that it's going to perish by evil travail. Some event's going to come along and take it away. That's in verse 14. In verses 15 and 16, you're going to die and not take a single cent of it with you. 
So you, you don't want to die with very much left. Oh, you don't know how hard it is for me to say that. But it's the truth. Amen. Prove it to me elsewhere. Can you find me one sentence in the Bible that tells you to die with a lot? It tells you that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That's not everything he earned in his life. It's only a small part of it. And if every generation would do that, you wouldn't have to worry about it yourself. You could just do a little bit. First thing is, it perishes by evil travail. Second thing is, you die and you can't take it with you. Third thing is in verse 17, and I want you to never forget 17. All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. I want you to remember four words out of that verse. Darkness, sorrow, wrath, and sickness. This is the miser. This is the man who saves too much. Now listen, we can take those four verses, and I can preach them to you that we are talking about a covetous man that worships money. If we were to preach about a covetous man that worships money, then it wouldn't affect you because you would all say, I don't worship money. I'm not covetous. So I'm going to make it a little better for you. That it's not just a covetous man that worships money. It's a man that saves too much. It's a man that's too stingy. It's a man that thinks some spent some forms of entertainment and pleasure are wasteful. If you've got the money and it gives you pleasure and reward for your labor, it's not wasteful. It's profitable. I am not teaching you to be spendthrifts and foolish so that you have nothing left. A foolish man spends it all up so that there's nothing left in his dwelling place. But a wise man doesn't have a lot left in his dwelling place because he spends it on an ongoing basis in the way that the preacher tells us to here. All his days also he eateth in darkness. He chooses to live a dark life, a negative life. Please examine yourselves. Don't think about someone else. Think about yourself. Do you have a dark approach to life? That life is a sad event. That life is hard. That you want to save this money and you want to save that money. Do you have a dark approach to life, a critical, a negative approach to life, rather than one full of joyful thanksgiving and cheerful spending, scattering, in order to have a good reward for your labor? All his days he eateth in darkness. Let me give you another verse, Proverbs 15, 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil. All the days of the afflicted are evil. But he that is of a merry heart hath a... Continual feast. That's what I'm talking about right there. Do you have a continual feast? Or are you worried about this is costing too much? And that's costing too much. Solomon's trying to give us a lesson here. All his days also he eateth in darkness. All the days of the afflicted. And where is that affliction from? Inside. He afflicts himself. Because the, the contrast in that proverb is, but he that hath a merry heart is of a, has a continual feast. Amen. It's a choice to have a merry heart or to be afflicted. And if you're afflicted, all the days of your life are going to be evil. Your life is going to be miserably unhappy. Do you know where the word miser came from? Misery. Do you know where the word misery came from? Miser. Go look it up. It was, it was, our language is wonderful. Do you know what a miser is? 
A person who chooses to live in misery to save money. That's a miser. What's misery? Denying yourself proper spending. When you're talking about it from a financial standpoint. All his days he eateth in darkness and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. He's sorrowful because expenses are always too high. He's never saving as much as he could. And he's wrathful because he didn't get a good enough return on his investment. Or this particular expense went up. Or taxes went up. Or it's so expensive now, gas is $4 a gallon. He lives his whole life in sorrow and wrath. He's sad because he's not growing fast enough. He's angry because there's competition and difficulty. And he does that in his sickness. I just want to make sure I get all of you. You know, if, we've, if I limited this passage to Banker Drysdale on the Beverly Hillbillies, remember? You could, pa- you could pass a $10 bill under his nose when he was out cold, and he would just leap up with a smile on his face. You, when was the last time I appealed to the Beverly Hillbillies? You, you know it's rare, but you remember that it worked better than spelling salts for the man. Those of you who don't know, he, he was just, he's the epitome of greediness and covetousness taken to a farcical level on television. It's a good example for anybody that's ever seen it before. I'm not very good at any of that stuff. All I know is that verse 17 says, Darkness, sorrow, wrath, and sickness is a disease about covetousness, greed, ambition, saving, worrying, estate building, rather than enjoying Because the preacher is trying to tell you, if you leave it, you don't know who's going to get it. If you leave it, you don't know how they're going to spend it. When you die, you ain't taking any of it with you. While you've got it, it's a whole lot of pain. And all you've got is an increasing income statement with the same bottom line. Why not be content and just spend it and get some reward for your labor? See some good in your life. Because here's the cure in the next three verses. 18 through 20. Behold, in contrast to that sickness of verses 13 through 17, here's the answer. Behold, he wants your attention. Behold, that which I have seen. It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him. For it is his portion. However long God lets you live, it is your wisdom, it is your pleasure to eat and to drink and to be merry and to enjoy the good of your labor. Now, in order for you to do it in the number of days God gives you as your portion, that means you have to be doing it in an ongoing basis. As an ongoing basis, you have to be spending because you don't know how long you're going to live. So you can't say... I'm going to save like Scrooge until I'm 60. Then I'll start blowing it. How do you know you're going to get to 60? So you do it on an ongoing basis. And if you're doing it on an ongoing basis, then you have a life full of light. You have a life full of joy. The way the Lord expects us to at this level. This level is under the sun. This is how we're taught by the preacher to handle our money. We believe in savings. Obey God is the first rule of Bible economics. Pay God first is the second rule of Bible economics. 
pay yourself. Second is the third rule. But after you do that, live on the rest and don't let any remain. Why? Put me in your will. If you're going to let any remain, put me in your will. Because I'm learning how to do it. And I appreciate some, of, some in the church who have taught it to me. Because I've enjoyed seeing it. I want the crown of the road that the Bible teaches about these things. That's an average man in verse 18. Verse 19 talks about one with extra blessing. Every man also, Ecclesiastes 5.19, every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. Not only are the riches and wealth the gift of God, but the power, the ability, the authority to be able to take it and spend it and use it and enjoy it, that's a gift of God. Verse 20, For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. Solomon has told us for five chapters that life is full of vanity and vexation of spirit, that life is full of travail and labor. He's told us that, but if a man would learn how to spend properly and to be content with modest pleasures, that man can enjoy life every week of his life and not remember the days of sorrow and difficulty and travail and labor. It's like a woman when she has a baby. The Bible tells us in John chapter 16, when a woman brings a man-child into the world, she forgets all the labor and delivery. And if you learn how to spend and enjoy some of the simple basic pleasures of life, and the one that's repeated over and over is eat and drink. And that doesn't mean you have to settle for the dollar double cheeseburger at McDonald's. And I'm not telling you to be wasteful, but every man has a different level of income. And you don't have to settle for that. Why are you settling for that? Because there are better burgers. Even though I like that horse meat too. I like it a lot. God answereth him in the joy of his heart. The joy in his heart. Oh, that was a great meal, wasn't it, wife? I was talking to our young couple. You're not the last ones married? No, you too. Yeah, I know you know about good food. Uh, oh, yeah. Travis and Jennifer, I was talking to them before the service to have a decent meal. Get a full belly. Have your taste buds tickled by the God of heaven with the variety he's given us, especially in this country. You can have anything you want, anytime you want it. Even a poor man. A nice meal, a bed, and a wife or a husband to lie in that bed with a full belly of decent food that you've enjoyed and tasted well. You're relaxed. Your central nervous system is depressed because a full stomach does that, very much like wine, and you're holding your wife that's as good as it gets. That is as good as it gets. What you can add to it? The wise man said you can't add to it. He said that having a pet ape in the backyard wouldn't do it. He says that. He says it here. He says planting an orchard won't cut it. Got to pick it. None of that works. No building project will work. A good meal, a nice bed, and a wife. And to be content with those three things is as good as it gets. And I'm going to... I'm going to get my pound of flesh out of you before today's over on those three points. The Lord is. I'm, I'm just nothing.
on Balaam's ass for you, for me. Then, if you add to that a decent, a good meal, decent meal, good meal, nice bed, wife, and communing with your own heart upon your bed with the Lord, there is nothing that can touch it in this world. That is everything there is. That is everything there is. You can be running to the kitchen to put out bowls to catch the water that's dripping through the ceiling. And I've told you all this example before. That's as good as it gets. If you do not get content with that, if you do not rejoice in that, then you are missing the wisdom of the preacher. The preacher said, everything I've tried is vanity and vexation of spirit. But to eat, to drink, it is good and it is comely. Eat, drink. Do you know what? Every man can afford eat and drink. Every man. Every man can afford a bed. Every man can get a wife. Every man can walk with the Lord. That's life. And when, when the, we let the world set our standards higher than that, or think that we can't be content with that, or that we need more than that, you are letting them put you on a treadmill where they control the speed and the incline, and they are going to run you ragged until the day of your death, and then spit you off into hell. Because the devil is a badden and he is a polyon. He is a destroyer. But the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ is a religion of peace, prosperity, pleasure, enjoyment, comfort, sleeping, gladness. It's a happy religion. The religions of the land of Canaan, you give me your firstborn son. In order to appease that God, you make your wife come in here and toss her new baby into the arms of that molten God. Our God sent His firstborn Son, His only begotten Son, to be our Savior. And from that, that is from the top down, He is so merciful and good to us in the religion of Christianity. And the preacher here is laying the foundation that even from a natural level, you need to choose to be content. And it is a gift from God. It is a gift to be able to spend, to have the power to eat thereof, to spend it. And to take your portion and to rejoice in your labor. This is the gift of God. Okay, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. Vanity. This is worthless. This is a wasted life. This is an evil disease. A disease is something that corrupts and steals health. It steals happiness. It steals prosperity. This is a terrible thing. And Solomon said it is common among men in that first verse. The subject has not changed. He is just switching back and forth. Verses 13 through 17 of chapter 5, he describes the sickness. He describes the disease. It's a man who keeps his riches and doesn't use them for enjoyment. They perish by evil travail. He can't take any with him when he dies, and he lives all his days in darkness with sorrow and wrath in his sickness. That's the lesson. Then in verses 18 through 20, he says it is a good and comely thing when a man can take what he's got and enjoy it. And then he says when a man that is rich can take what he's got 
and enjoy it. Verse 19, as compared to verse 18. And he says, God gives him joy in his heart. and He doesn't need to remember the, the evil days of his life. That though life is very vain and life is full of travail, you can forget it all by wise spending. Then he comes to chapter 6, where he points out there are some men that God gives riches to, but he doesn't give them the power to eat thereof. He blesses them abundantly so that they prosper, but he doesn't give them that kind of generous soul, that liberal soul that loves to spend it for themselves and for others around them. And he says it's an evil disease and that it's common among men. That is the first lesson of chapter 6. He returns to this subject and he explains some evil that he has seen under the sun and his men that are blessed so that they prosper in the world, but they don't know how to enjoy it. They're not as happy as they could be. They're not as happy as they should be. They're not as liberal and as generous as they could be. This is an evil under the sun. It's under the sun. That's what he said in verse 1. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun. He is not dealing right at this moment with spiritual wisdom. He is dealing with natural wisdom. This is an evil under the sun of not enjoying what God's given. And it's common among men. If I were to preach that this is just some banker Drysdale from the Beverly Hillbillies, or if I was just to preach that this is some greedy worshiper of money, we would miss the lesson, we would miss the conviction, because all of you and I need to examine ourselves in light of the preacher. You aren't taking anything with you. Why are you saving it for the day of your death? If you are, you say, well, I ain't got much laid up for the kids. Well, as long as you're putting apart a reasonable, modest, minor amount, spend the rest. What are you saving it for? The day of evil travail when it's taken away by taxes or a robber or some other means? You saving it for the day of your death? You're going to live your life in darkness, huh? We want to fight against that. We want to learn and try to hold the balance. Savings is taught in the Word of God, but savings too much is called an evil t- disease. Say, what, what is the amount? Save a modest amount to help your children out a little bit and spend the rest. Be liberal. The Lord will take care of you more than He will a stingy man in the long run. This is a man under God's curse. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6 are a man under God's curse. Even though God blessed him to prosper, God did not give him the ability or the power, the desire, the willingness, the aptitude to spend for himself and for others. Think about it. Once in a while in the paper you read that someone was found dead in their little tiny bungalow Nobody checked on them, and they were dead a couple of weeks. And they find this person in total poverty, eating TV dinner. A few TV dinners are left. And when they check into that person's records, they find out that they're a multimillionaire. Once a year, once every six months, you're going to read such a story. If we were to limit this passage to those kind of people, it has no value for us. And it wouldn't be true. Because Solomon said, it is common among men. So it must be different than that. It must not be someone who eats one TV dinner a day. I'm talking about the old-fashioned, oh my. Do they? You know, you can store them forever because there's nothing to spoil. 
don't. Don't send me any emails. If you have me over for a TV dinner, I will thank and bless you. It's not that kind of an extreme position here. There's more that we want to learn from it. Some few, some very, very few live in abject poverty in order to hoard great riches. But this is not common among men, and we are going to listen to every word of God. And when the word of God says it is common among men, then we have to broaden what it is saying until we understand that it includes more than such extreme, rare situations. In addition to those crazy ones that I just mentioned, many more deny liberal spending for pleasure in order to save. Because they think anything above utility is wasteful. They only think in utilitarian terms. Utilitarian terms mean we can live on PB and J. Peanut butter and jelly. That's as much as I, that's as close as I get to the Greek. Peanut butter and jelly. So you think in utilitarian terms. But the Lord doesn't want you to think in utilitarian terms. Utility is only spending your money for those things that will get the job done of keeping you alive. When the Lord wants you to spend for the pleasure that you can get from eating or drinking or other things that would reward you for your labor so that you can enjoy the life He's given you, even in a world of vanity. Solomon gives us secrets about enjoying life even on a natural level. When we tack onto it our relationship with the Lord, it's win, win, win. It's wonderful. Don't be utilitarian. Be liberal. Don't be utilitarian. Be Epicurean without their denial of the God of heaven. Enjoy life. Spend. Enjoy. Modest pleasures with contentment and thanksgiving. Blessing God who gives them. Solomon's not afraid to mention God. He tells you where all this comes from. The riches and the wealth come from God, and the ability to use it comes from God. And if you don't feel that you have enough, then confess it and ask God to give you a bigger heart. Enlarge my heart, O Lord, that I can scatter more easily. You have blessed me. I don't want to have the evil disease that's common among men. Don't be utilitarian. Enjoy life. Many more begrudge liberty. Liberality for things and others because they think it is wasteful. Treating someone else to eating and drinking is a wonderful pleasure. It's better than doing it yourself. Spending for a nice meal for someone else is better than eating it yourself if you've been given the gift of 518 and 519. If you haven't, then you don't know what I'm talking about and you think that would be wasteful. That person doesn't need to eat a good meal. They're living. They look healthy. You're missing the whole point. That's being utilitarian. Don't be utilitarian. Life is too short to be utilitarian. Enjoy it. More are workaholics who take little time for joy because they have to be getting ahead all the time. So they work, work, work. All work and no play makes somebody a dull boy. And if any of you are thinking inside right now that your pastor might be an example of that, I might be. So I'll examine myself and you examine yourself. But remember that my job is a little different than trying to get ahead. I'm trying to help you get ahead with the Lord. Because that's my goal. 
Some are melancholies who love to revel in pain. A melancholy means they're masochistic. If you remember one M, remember the other M. Masochism is self-inflicted pain and torture. Melancholies love it. They love to revel in every negative thing they can possibly raise. And they will raise them and raise them and mull them over and think about them until they get themselves in a downward spiral to disaster. They ruin their lives by being melancholies. And while this is financial, we want to think about anything about life. Because there's a principle taught here. God wants us to enjoy life. Not to live the life of a melancholy or a masochistic nut. So, there are a few, a very few, that live at the poverty level and are millionaires. But Solomon said this is common among men. So, in order to make it common, I have included those who deny liberal spending because they're too utilitarian. Utilitarian is not a virtue. It is a sickness. You have a disease. The doctor has just identified it, and it's Dr. Solomon by the inspiration of God. Others begrudge liberality for things and for others because they think it's wasteful. Why does that person need another good meal? Why does that person need any pleasure in their life? Giving pleasure to other people is a wonderful thing. You got any more steaks at home? (laughs) Mark's good at it, isn't he? He doesn't give you fried bologna, does he? When was the last time he served your round steak? Round steak? I've got it on the both. I got it on the bottom of both shoes. It's not made to eat. Mark knows that, and I, I'm sorry. I could go through the congregation and mention a number of other people, but Mark's good at that. Others are workaholics. Work too much. We have to work, and work is good. God put Adam in the Garden of Eden to dress the garden. That was a good thing. But to work too much and not to enjoy the reward of all that work is to miss it and to have an evil disease. So I'm, I'm broadening this thing out to get all of us. By one or two or all five. Some are melancholies who love to revel in pain, worrying about all the details. Please understand me, I am not talking about waste or being foolish. But do you know that it's an evil disease to worry about the crust in a loaf of bread? If, if you worry about it, and it really, it really ir- messes up your life. And I'm not, I'm not picking on anyone in particular because there's several of you that I could pick on. But I'm, I know about that. And I, I like to eat that crust too because it was, in, it was bred into me <laughs> to eat that crust. But do you know what? If that crust is really thin and it looks really ugly and it looks like it would really be hard to eat, give it to the birds. Watch the birds enjoy it. That should give you enjoyment. That's being liberal. Scatter your bread up on the waters. Literally. Just a point. I shouldn't use illustrations because people get irritated with me. It's just a point to think about every aspect that gets in trouble. The melancholy worries too much about details. The big picture is what counts because the big picture is about to end because we're going to die. We can't take it with us. And Solomon is saying you can't take it with you, so enjoy it now. Enjoy it now on an ongoing basis with the days God gives us. The cure is Solomon's lesson to enjoy life. 
The cure is to live a carefree life with modest pleasures. This is what the Bible teaches in both Testaments. Timothy, charge them that are rich in this world that they do not trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. If there's a verse in the Bible that sounds Epicurean, it's 1 Timothy 6.17, and it's written by Paul to another minister. It's the same as Ecclesiastes chapters 5 and 6, and it's in a pastoral epistle. That is Christianity. Look at verse 2. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor. Do we all understand the sovereign power of God? That your position in life, you know, other than your folly, that didn't take advantage of the opportunities He gave you, anyone born in America has had thousands of opportunities put before you on a platter. Everyone born in America had a silver spoon in their mouth at some point in time because there is so much opportunity in this country. We are blessed abundantly. Blessed abundantly. But it's God that gives riches, wealth, and honor. If you landed at the right job at the right time and things worked out well so that you went boom, 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 up the ladder, and you were making more money and getting promotions, or you open a business and it works well, all those things are from the hand of God. We believe that. Promotion doesn't come from the east, from the west, from the north or the south. It comes from the Lord. The Lord lifts up. And so... Solomon doesn't ignore that. Solomon is not an atheistic idolater when he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. He mentions God throughout. He knows what made him. His brothers wanted to kill him. It wasn't his ability that got him the throne. It was God's grace and God loving him from birth, calling him Jedediah. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. He has the ability to satisfy every desire that he's got. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof. He can't enjoy it. He can't spend it. But a stranger eateth it. How does a stranger eat it? It perishes by evil travail. Robbery, taxes, whatever. He dies and a stranger eats it because someone gets it in his will. A stranger eats it. This is vanity. It's vanity. It's a worthless life to work hard and not to have eaten it yourself. But a stranger eats it, and it is an evil disease. That's for Ecclesiastes 6, 1 and 2. Miserly hoarding, excessive saving, covetousness, stinginess, darkness, melancholy worry, fretting. Enjoy. Life is too short. We're racing toward the finish line. I feel it more and more every day. Life is too short to be angry. Life is too short to be stingy. Life is too short to be selfish. Life is too short to be discontent. Every second I waste, waste in discontentment, I shorten my life. Because I just wasted a second. I have more to say on that subject. Verses 3 through 6. If a man beget an hundred children and live many years, so that the days of his years be many, And his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he cometh in with vanity, and departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor known anything. This hath more rest than the other. Yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, Yet hath he seen no good. Do not all go to one place? 
vanity of living a sorrowful, negative, dark life, especially in financial matters, but it includes others by implication and the wisdom that is taught here. The lesson is this simple. If you do not enjoy your life, no matter how long God would make it, and no matter how many children God would give you, you're worse than a stillborn. A miscarriage is better than you. An abortive. An unborn child that never sees the light of day and breathes. That dies in the womb. That child is better off than you. You shouldn't have been born. You're wasting the life that God gave you. That's the lesson of verses 3 through 6. If a man beget a hundred children, he has this enormous family. You know, if you think Psalm 127 and 128 describe a wonderful family when you've got two or three children or four or five or six or seven sitting around a table, what if you had a hundred? What if you had to extend the dining room a few hundred yards? And you had a hundred children and you lived this long life. What do you have it for? You're wasting it and you're ruining it for your children. The children are left untalked about throughout this passage, except in the words, and you don't have a burial. Everyone gets buried. Everyone gets buried. Not to bury a body results in very dangerous diseases and epidemics. Everyone gets buried, but not everyone gets buried with honor. Not everyone gets buried with thankfulness for their life. Not everyone gets buried with esteem. And so the burial here is talking about Can you imagine a man, he has a hundred children, he lives many years, but his soul is not filled with good. He doesn't enjoy all that God has given him to enjoy, and also that he has no honorable burial. No one one wants to honor him. No one wants to esteem him. No one is thankful for him. They're sort of relieved that he's gone. I say an untimely birth is better than he. Every one of you fathers, we dictate so much the mood and the character and the happiness of our children by the way we conduct ourselves at home. And if you are so cruel as to deny yourself the pleasure of the good things God has given us, then don't deny them to your children. Give them some of their inheritance early. Let them enjoy some good things. What a terrible thing for Solomon to say. And I believe him. I believe him. That for a man, though he has a huge family, though he lives a long life, if he doesn't fill his soul with good because he doesn't have the power to do it, he's worse than a stillborn. He's worse than a miscarriage. A miscarriage. A woman holds that baby for nine months, eight months. She's attached to it. She thinks about it daily, nightly. But when it comes time to give birth, it comes too early, it's dead. It's a wasted life. Here's the the abortive described in verses 4 and 5. The he of verse 4 is the abortive, it's the miscarriage, it's the stillborn. Can I prove that? Very easily. The last part of verse 5 says this. The he that he's talking about hath more rest than the other. A stillborn is better from verse 3 because it has more rest than the miser. Verses 4 and 5 are describing a stillborn, but the comparison is this. 
I'm going to describe the stillborn as badly as I can, but because he is the compare, he is better than the miser, you're all going to get the lesson that the miser is really terrible. For he, I'm going to say it again, verse 4, when it says for he, it's not talking about the miser, it's talking about the untimely birth. Because when you get to the last part of verse 5, it says this, what I've been talking about, this male pronoun I've been talking about, hath more rest than the other. A stillborn has more rest than a miser because the miser lives his life in travail and pain and trouble. Four, verse four, for he cometh in with vanity. This little child comes in with vanity, a totally worthless delivery, worthless birth, worthless gestation, worthless time spent in the mother's womb. Comes in with vanity, no profit, no birth, no praise, no honor, no excitement. No fruitfulness, no profitability. He cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness. He goes right back out the same way. No light, no blessing, no joy, no thankfulness. And his name shall be covered with darkness. No one will even know the name of that child. Most mothers will not even think about that child after a few weeks or months. If you do, mother, you are an exception. Except to think of them once in a rare while. Because if God's given you living children, the miscarriages that he took from you are lost in darkness. Solomon said that. He knows more about it than you do. I know about miscarriages. I know about coming home from the bank to find my wife because she called me and told me what had happened. And for us to trust the living God. But their names go out in obscurity and darkness. His name shall be covered with darkness. They're lost. They're forgotten. There's nothing written about them. There's nothing said about them. There's nothing known about them. They came in with vanity. They went out in darkness. And they're covered, their name is covered with darkness. This is the untimely birth. This is the stillborn. This is the miscarriage of verse 3 that he's describing. Verse 5, moreover, he hath not seen the sun. To see the sun is a great blessing. That sun out there God sends on the evil and the good, the just and the unjust, it is a wonderful thing. Right. When you walk outside on a sunny day... Does the Lord say anything to you through that? Do you love that warm embrace? It's a wonderful thing. But he's never seen the sun. This abortive never saw the sun. I'm not talking about abortion. Except when God arranges it. Not when men arrange it. We're talking about a miscarriage or a stillborn. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun nor known anything. He has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. He has not seen the travail under the sun. And he doesn't know anything about travail, labor, vanity, vexation of spirit. His spirit's never been vexed. This hath more rest than the other. You give me a stillborn, he's never been vexed. He's never seen vanity. He's never travailed. He's got more rest than the miser. Though the miser has a whole bunch of children and lives a long life, he's worse than a stillborn. Because the stillborn did not go through the pain that the miser chose to go through by living his life in a stingy, hoarding, saving, working, sorrowful, angry way. Verse 6, Yea, though he live a thousand years, twice told, yet hath he seen no good. Do not all go to one place? Back to the miser. Verse 6, Yea, though he live a thousand years, twice told. The oldest man in the Bible, and Solomon would have known it well, was Methuselah. Methuselah. 
who lived just short of a thousand. And so Solomon's using an extreme example. Would we love to live 2,000 years long? Depends on what day I ask you, right? Do you want to live 2,000 years? Though he lived, this is an extreme example. Let's go back to that miser. I said he was worse than a stillborn. Solomon is speaking. What if he lived 2,000 years? What if he had 100 children, lived 2,000 years? Yet hath he seen no good. He has not chosen chosen to live and to, to enjoy, eat, drink, be merry, to, to find the good and the reward of his labor. He doesn't do it. He's worse than a stillborn. Because what's he done with his 2,000 years? He's had 2,000 years of misery, and the stillborn had none. He's had 2,000 years of travail, the stillborn had none. What good is a longer life if you're going to use that longer life just for travail, just for sorrow, just for being stingy, just for amount accumulating to give to the next generation? And then, he, then Solomon says, do not all go to one place. Death reduces the miser to the stillborn. All go to one place. The grave. Death. Death reduces all to one common place. The grave. The miser, though he lives 2,000 years, though he has 100 children, ends up in the same place as the stillborn. What a wasted life. This is vanity and vexation of spirit. What is the lesson for us? Godliness with contentment is great gain. God's given us richly all things to enjoy. Eat and drink and enjoy the good of your labor, for this is good and comely and is a gift from God. Just living in America, we have one great big gift, that we live in a prosperous country. Then you need to look at your own circumstances and see where God has blessed you and enjoy the good of your labor, because labor is hard work. There's travail in it. But you will not much remember those evil days You will not much remember the travail if you learn how to spend and be thankful for God's goodness. Trusting Him. Here's how the miser works, and i got to quit for now. Here's how the miser works. It's my duty. It's my duty to protect myself for the future because the prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. Well, if you're going to take that verse and run it all the way, then you have no faith. Because God will take care of you. He is not counting on you to protect you. Right. What did Psalm 4 say? My safety cometh... No, there's a... Only from the Lord. Your safety does not come from your saving. Your safety comes from the Lord. So after you have saved a modest, reasonable amount, spend the rest. And trust the Lord for the rest. Trust the Lord for the future. He's going to take care of the future because you're trusting His Word. And you're going to step out by faith and be a cheerful and joyful spender and enjoy the good that God has put in your life as reward for your labor. This is Christianity taught by the preacher Solomon and taught by the Apostle Paul, taught by the Lord Jesus Christ, your Father in heaven, knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. The Lord wants you to have all these things. And I am not preaching a prosperity gospel. I am preaching the wisdom of God's word. I'm not asking you to sow a seed and reap a harvest. I'm asking you to put me in your will. If you don't want to submit to Ecclesiastes 5 and 6. 
May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. I love His Word. I hope you love it with me. And that we can live it together.